I do want to say welcome and greetings from the historic Hawthorne Barn here in Provincetown, the home of 20 Summers. And for those of you who don't know or who would like a reintroduction, 20 Summers is an amazing space physically here, but it's also an idea. They're providing resources and residencies for artists of all stripes to come and make original work and explore ideas in this beautiful, idyllic, historical setting that we're perched in right now, which is the Hawthorne Barn, as I said, right here in Provincetown. It's a place for innovative ideas, for artists of multiple disciplines. And I invite you to make your way to the website, 20summers.org, to find out all about the organization. You can check on some of the folks who uh, occupied the residency in this and previous seasons, and about some exciting things that are still in stock for this summer that you have the opportunity to participate in, in person, as well as virtually. So we hope that you've told your friends and that you're all in the room right now, because we're gonna begin our talk right at this moment. It's my pleasure to introduce to you, for vital signs, the artist Maynard Monroe. The floor is yours. You want to share some work and then we'll have a little uh, chat. Sounds good. Manny Monroe, are you up for that? I, I think he is. Okay. So, uh, I'm hello, I'm Manny Monroe. So, uh, we're going to show a few slides here, just a few to acquaint uh, my audience out there, those who know me and those who don't know me with my work. So this little triad of work here is from a show in 2018 in Los Angeles at Gavillette Gallery. Um, I'm a visual artist, text-based, conceptual. Um, so that the material is um, felt boards with different uh, lettering on them and multicolored framing. Um, so I make very strong phraseologies, poignant, sardonic phraseologies, but then I like to envelop them and wrap them in kind of confectionery uh, packaging. So I like that combination of coming together and colliding. So uh, if you can read those, there's some very interesting and uh, you know, polemic texts there. Box marked other, uh, still life in the crosshairs of the American dream. And uh, the lower one is in spite of ourselves, we're still here. We can switch on. So I work in different colors again. Uh, this one is a pink board, it's pink felt. Uh, here I'm playing off of uh, kind of a famous, pretty, not kind of, very famous American idiom. And I've changed it to my own <clears throat> discordant like. So it's, give us your feral, your hysterical, your undesirable. So that to me speaks about being an artist, being an outsider, uh, a voice for the voiceless. So this is one of my bronze works. It's probably difficult to see. Uh, they're all uh, they're bronze works, which I had all patinaed in black. And what was interesting is that, uh, when I went to the foundry, they had patinaed in black, and they were planning on uh, buffing out the letters so that they were going to be gold. And I, when I got there, I was like, "Don't don't touch a thing," because I liked them as a monochrome. I thought they had great gravitas, and I thought it was cheesy then to. Uh, make them buffed out gold like that. I was like, don't you dare. So I believe this one, this one was very poignant to me. It says, "'Twas never about restrooms, just like it was never about water fountains." 
And so the, the size of these are, um, none of these are large. That, that's like 20 inches high by like 15 or 16 inches wide, these bronzes. And that's 2018 also. Yeah, much more impactful in the black than it would have been with the little rugs. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. It was, plus, it was uh, more interesting and unique. I didn't like that cheese quality. Uh, this is a show uh, also from an exhibition at Gavlak. So the two pink ones on top of each other, the top one says, I love you in theory. And the bottom one is like my Greek tragedy. It says, there's no stronger aphrodisiac than rejection. I find that to be very true. I wouldn't know. It's a Greek tragedy. <laughs> I mean, just ask a Greek. But so many tales have been written about uh, unrequited people, the wars that have gone, we've had because of unrequited situations. And then on the back wall, that uh, the neon is um, pearls before swine. So I blacked out before swine on the front side, and so it reads in light on the back side of the wall. It's the idea of pick and choose your friends and your lovers well. It's also obviously taken from, it's biblical. I'm always skewering everything now. I, I take no prisoners. So this is from a recent show, 20, no, 2020, a uh, show I had in Palm Beach at Gavlak. And I did four large neon pieces. I uh, uh, was so dismayed, as we all were in America and around the world, what was happening in this country. And I just, I'm, our poor little democracy is just being chipped away at and chipped away at. And so I made this piece, Resurrect Democracy. I mean, if there's any time that it's needed resurrection, it's now. And uh, so it's a powerful piece. It's tall, it's like eight feet tall by like seven and a half feet wide. You can't mess with democracy. So that's just a little teaser, little teaser then of um, what I make. I work in a number of materials, neon, the felt boards, bronzes, soon to be marble and some textile work coming up. Soon to be marble, how does that happen? Um, so I'm going to take some of my phraseologies and I'm going to be selecting slabs of marble. Yeah. And then with these new programs, it's all just cut in. So if you were to have your work described by your a parent or one of your family members, one of your siblings, what would they say that their brother, their little brother does for a living? Um... I guess they would imagine that would, the artwork would come up, an artist. So yeah, I make art. But what I like about the art I make, uh, my studio is right here and it goes everywhere with me. I'm not a hands-on process artist. I'm constantly writing and whittling in words wherever I go, and then I'll fabricate it in the particular material that I'm gonna fabricate it in. So I love this idea that you're not tied to a place, that the work is always with you. You yeah. have a mobile studio. But right. I'm thinking, I, I happen to know that you're from Hollywood, California, from Hollywood, California, which is ironic to me in some sense because Hollywood land, Hollywood, the most iconic, famous sign in the world is your hometown. Yeah. And now you're uh, working with text. I wondered if, how did that happen? Did Hollywood land, did it seep into your consciousness, had that iconography, and now you're making this work? 
Well, it's interesting because there's a piece called Hollywood in one of my past shows that is, you know, it's informed by Ed Ruscha's famous Hollywood piece. And um, I just, but I, what I did was with mine is I spelled Hollywood backwards. So I'm constantly skewering with art history and skewering with art. Yeah. Um, I am, in, there's a long lineage of text-based artists, so that I'm inspired by from Jenny Holzer to Lawrence Wiener to Joseph Kassuth to Rene Ricard, et cetera. But, and then going to CalArts where it was really drilled in me, you know, I just started making text-based work right away. So CalArts, BFA and MFA yeah. from CalArts. You're a double, double down on the CalArts. I mean, I tried to leave a mark. I'm afraid I left a stain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna ask. Well, <laughs> you know, how do you think that informed your work? Like, if if you would have gone to RISD or something, going on the other side of the country, do you think your work would have evolved in the same way as it did coming out of that program? There's a freedom at CalArts. It's mm -hmm. kind of like the feral of all the art schools. It's kind of like the most feral, and I'm kind of somewhat feral in that kind of way I proceed through things, um, and I like that. It's, you know, it's like the outsider, the troubled cousin of the art school. The troubled cousin. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you this. Is, well, I'm not going to ask you this goofy question yet, but the history of arts making and where we are right now with technology. I wonder how you feel on the continuum of have this idea that you're carrying your studio with you. You don't have to be tied to a barn right. to make work, how that is evolving in the art world and what that means for people wearing the moniker of artists. Right. Well, I'm like more of a non-traditional artist. I don't, I'm not a process artist and I love the fact I can be anywhere and I'm constantly working on new material, writing, scrolling, scribbling, blah, blah, blah. And then I take that work and then I'll apply it, like I said, to different materialities. And I'm interested in not continuing the continuum. I'm interested in expanding the continuum. So I don't want to tread water. Good. In the, in the sense of not being tied to process too, I was thinking about, we just saw just some of the slides, some of the body of work, and it's you're, you're not signing your name. It's like it's not you're looking for the little signature in the bottom corner, I wonder just about ownership of the art, since you're constantly taking things in and reinterpreting them and putting them back out. How do you feel about that? The, I guess, you know, the, I don't want to say the provenance, but it's like, this is your work. It's unsigned and it's out there. How do you feel about ownership of the process and of the work, knowing how you process things and send them back into the world. Right. Well, I'm constantly mining and plumbing all over. And in a certain way, I almost feel like, without being pretentious, that I'm kind of like um, an official cultural anthropologist. And I'm just constantly, you know, unearthing and the situations and looking for new meanings all over or re-establishing re another unsaid entendre to an existing work. Is it important that the work be funny? Uh, not, some of them are sardonic and poignant at the same time. You know, I only, each piece only has like eight or ten words at the most in them. So everything hinges on one word usually. So it's like it's, it's about brevity. And it's about finding the right words. So saying a lot with very little.
saying a lot with very little. I'm particularly thinking about the last work we saw, the big neon piece about resurrecting the democracy. And we are 2020 into right now. If you can expound a little bit on the idea and why neon for that work. Because it's a real Americana, too. It's mm-hmm. a real uh, you know, American idiom, yeah. if I can say that somewhat. Um, and, and with this particular neon, I, I designed metal letters for the neon to sit in, so it's like a double lettering, like you see in Vegas or gas stations or old liquor right. stores, blah, blah, blah. And I was just playing on that old the kind of nostalgic uh, sign lettering. So I just want to, at this point, uh, let everyone know that we are going to be uh, reading through your questions. So if there's something that you'd like to ask of the artist, or I don't know if you have some ideas that he may be able to extrapolate and send back into the world, we're open and receptive uh, to hearing those ideas. But uh, take part in this dialogue. We're open and we're having a conversation. So, Ryan, I've got one. We have a question. Um, uh, how do you decide on the medium, bronze, fabric, etc.? So, does the how do you decide on the medium? Do you have these like phrases in your head? Do you have an idea and you said like this black on black work that is the bronze with that subject matter that I think would hit differently if it was in neon versus right. the so black on black. The my ne- those bronzes which I did a few years ago. Uh, I chose a selection of works that I felt had really strong phraseology and gravitas. Um, one of them said, um, the highest form of patriotism is the honor of dissent. There was the one about uh, water fountains and uh, restrooms. Yeah. One was said, uh, for your information, we the people are all immigrants. So I was playing on real strong uh, language that had and the bronze anchored that language well linking to that long american history in that world frankly right. of that sense of permanence versus something that is more fleeting or seemingly ephemeral when you can remove it and but i did make some it. more sardonic funny ones in bronze there's one that says i just went to a great collection that says when in doubt make fucking believe <laughs> <laughs> So then I, I don't know if I was not listening. Well, how do you decide then if it's going to be bronze or if it's I just be- I, it's, Those are con- aesthetic considerations that are constantly I'm rolling around and yeah. working on. Everything's highly considered. Right. Everything's highly considered for that brief Yeah, and what material is going to be made in. Yeah. I wanted to know, and I asked you this offhand before, about the fonts then. How do you go in more into process with you not being a process artist, but clearly there's a process, there is a process at play here. So how did you decide on the fonts for the work? Um, I use Helvetica for a, for a lot of it because that's very clean, and I don't want the, the font to direct the viewer. So I like the, the very simple mechanism of that. With the uh, neons, um, I helped, was a gentleman in Los Angeles who helped me design a font. And I've been using it ever since. So you created a font I, yeah, for this work. Yeah. What was the process like <clears throat> of developing a font? Is it like every every song has already been sung? Like exactly. Like- I mean, it just kind of happened. I worked with him, and and I stuck with it. And when I, you know, and now it's a program that my guys at the different 
uh, fabricators, they know what, what I'm going to be making it in. So, and they like it. It's interesting. It's unique to them because they don't do it. Yeah. Pretty much. What's that process like of working with foundries and uh, craftspeople, fabricators for you in, in your practice? Um, it's just part of what I do. So I, and I've learned that you have to stay on top of them. The spot checking is constant. Like you could have wound up with gold letters. Right. If I, if I take my uh, <laughs> eye off the prize, so to, so to say, wait a sec, what happened here? So you've got to stay on it. But that's part of it too, though, that part. Because to get the aesthetic you want, you have to be right there with them. Even though they're right there making it, you've got to be right there with them as the director. Right. The director. So it's like at every point of you from the right. conceptual to the literally standing right. over and making sure. I think we have another question. Is there always a message or do you ever do something just for the fun of it? There's messages, but there's also a lot of fun involved, though. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm having a good time. You know, it's... I, I'm a bit of a visual poet, even though I'm very careful not to use that word poet because I have such respect for them. But there is somewhat my wordsmithness going on and uh, my Maynardisms, my Bon Mots, my apothegiums, my malapropisms. <laughs> I like mix that salad together and then send it back out. So are you constantly just mining as you're walking around? Yes. Is there a running dialogue inside your head? Yeah. And how did that manifest being in this beautiful historic barn? Because I know you've made work while you've been here. I made that work right here. And that's, um, you know, I, here's a good example of me unmining a famous American, you know, lullaby, child's poem, yeah. Merrily, Merrily. But then I put loitering between to start it. So... Loitering is usually pejorative, but I'm making it a positive, especially in this town, to be merrily, 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 merrily. Loitering between. Yeah, loitering <laughs> between. We've seen a little of that this week. So as we are, we have another question. Okay, the people are coming in. Uh, your letters on felt, what are they made of? Felt as well? And do you cut them individually or by machine? Tell us about the process. This is a real process question. So got some I order the felt, first of all, the boards, and I get them in custom colors. I started in black, but now I, I usually, I work mostly in like a, and gray yeah. is my preferred. Because it's like this neutrality of color. Mm -hmm. uh, the letters I order, they're machine cut, laser cut. And I'm hoping that they can start making them besides white. Uh, for me. Well, if anyone can get it done. But custom color. Yeah. So about the, you spoke about that large work. I, I don't know why my mind keeps going back to that. Maybe because it was the last thing we saw, but the resurrect and the democracy right. and that form and tying back to that American tradition and with the neon and all of these. So there's a bunch of stuff at play. Where is that work living now? Uh, that American piece, yeah, that went to a really incredible collection. 
So I wonder about the tension between putting the work. Actually, it's going into a museum. That piece, a museum. So that that this is, I guess, the essence of what I was getting at. Like when you make something like that, and it goes into perhaps a private collection or something. But this work is going to live in a uh, in a public space in the museum. So do you ever have any? feeling or qualms or ideas about where you would like work to go like have you ever said you know what this this should be on public display more i'd rather it not go to a private collection or you just get the work and you release it i can't there's certain things i can control i'd like it to go to certain public collections so the more eyes are set upon the work the happier the work is it thrives on attention the work thrives on attention yeah yeah, and this particular piece, there's a art, another art institution here that's interesting in making a huge banner of this work that will hang in front of their building. Which there's a good way of me of getting my work out into the into the public sphere. Yeah, yeah, and it's exactly was specific for this place, right? And, and it, it resonates and permeates. We got another question. <laughs> Has there ever been some big reaction to your work or something very controversial? Big reaction or controversy? Have you ever had a show shut down? Like, I haven't I been that lucky yet. Um, uh, I'm crazy about controversy, though. Yeah. I mean, who is it? What artist is it? Um, no, I'm not really. I mean, I make, I make some ribald works, and I'm working on a number of them right now. But um, that's... You know, who doesn't like ribald? Yeah. Well, when it's done right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's like vulgarity is one thing, but when it's gilded vulgarity, it's another. Yeah. I'm wondering about the. We've talked about process, but I I wonder if we could open it up into uh, looking at the other roles that you play in your professional life. I happen to know that you are a curator of some renown, and I wonder if you would buy your own work for collectors or where you would, just objectively as a person, like where you would see your work as a curator. Um, I am a curator also. I wear two hats or two heels, I'd like to say. Um, (laughs) One's a career heel, (laughs) one's a more, you know, day wear. (laughs) <laughs> a sensible wedge. A sensible, yeah, very sensible wedge. You know, packs light. Um, I curate for a major American collection, private. Uh, that's in uh, housed in a number of cities, so I triangulate with the work around the states. And there's a large space in Florida where we uh, show collection. And um, I've been with the collection in my twelfth year now, and it's an amazing, amazing collection. It's very deep. Uh, in its uh, holdings, especially with African-American work, women's work, uh, LGBT holdings, etc. It's just an incredible collection. And so to put it, to be able to work with it and the scholarship that comes from it and to do exhibitions just out of the collection because we don't loan it, we don't borrow anything. We show what we have and make, make exhibitions out of it. And now we're sending other institutions our coming to us and we're sending selections from our collection to other institutions and working with other institutions. So that's also quite interesting too. Once again, getting the work out there because the work thrives on attention. 
and it wilts in the crate. And that's the way I look at it. Well, it's so much how like how much of the art that's in the world in the accepted canon even is ever on display. Exactly. Well, even for us, I mean, if we have 500 works on display right now, we're doing well. Yeah. Besides the houses around the country and private spaces. So just picking up on the thread of the work that is being shared by the collection and seen in these public spaces. And you talked about the number of women artists who are there, artists of color, uh, folks on the LGBTQ plus spectrum who are a part of the collection. And I'm just thinking in 2021, as we're sitting here now, does that, how, how, how does that function now? If it's like the tribalism in some ways of putting whatever kind of artist you are before, where if you were an older white guy or just a white male, you're an artist. But if like, I'm a black artist, I'm a woman artist, I'm a gay artist. How as the sort of a gatekeeper, do you see that now? Do we still need those monikers or is it just like the art is free now? The art is free and it's it's really opened up. Like, you know, the, the ceiling is not just cracked, it's shattered, I think. Yeah. Thank goodness. Thank God. Thank Goddess. Yes. <laughs> um, but as an artist, I'm, I, I look myself as just an artist. I, there's, you, I mean, what's the first flag I put up the pole is, I mean, I mean, am I a gay artist? That's part of who I am. It's not all of who I am. Mm-hmm. My white artist, that's part of who I am. It's not all of who I am, etc. So I, and my work is informed by the collection a lot too, because I'm so involved with the collection. It can't help but inform me Yeah. and in my practice. Regarding the works like we're sending out, like we're sending, we have a Latin American show at a, of our holdings in Virginia right now. We're sending a hundred works to commemorate the Tulsa massacre uh, to Oklahoma of our African-American holdings. So it's interesting what works are being are working on and what's going out. And that doesn't mean we're not showing a couple of old, good old white boys. We are. <laughs> <laughs> but in uh, thinking about art and the relationship of the art to the artist, I know that you try to make the art the focus of the thing in terms of being photographed or involved with the work. You try to make sure that the work is central and in some ways removed from how you present or are perceived. Like you have made a conscious effort to make it about the art instead of you being a conduit for it. Right. What's behind that and how do you think that informs the work and the broader art world where some people are as or more famous than the works that they make. Right. Well, as far as art, the collecting uh, mission statement of our collection is we're not, we're not buying and selling. We're just acquiring. And the collector and the collection is about uh, creating amazing uh, collection of artists. She's it, her passion for collecting is incredible. We're not selling. We very rarely deacquisition anything, mm-hmm. and she, for her, it's the passion of helping, especially emerging artists. Um, I'll give an example. She 
was uh, instrumental in helping Kehinde Wiley very early, and she bought a couple of works. Um, and he's thankful to this day because it helped him keep his studio and keep the lights on, get artist materials. So that small amount of money helped him propel. Yeah, he didn't have to go to Starbucks. No. He could have lost an artist. Right. An artist. And so we have some incredible early works by him. So what is it? What I, I mean, I'm very pr proud of the collection I work for. I guess I should say the name I work. <laughs> I'm a curator for the DeWoody collection. Yeah. Well, that's something to be proud of. But I'm wondering if, like you're talking about, like Kahinde now, who's been widely accepted, embraced, go see the National Portrait Gallery. There's Obama right there right. as interpreted by him. But I wonder if... And Amy Sherrod, though, doing course. Mrs. Obama. Hey, so we had... Talking to the last Chicago. Last year we had, we had Amy and and um, Kehinde together in our lobby, paintings that they've done. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. His Honoring them. Work. Yeah. yeah. So thinking about that, that for a lot of Americans who aren't involved in the art world or either publications or just see when the Picasso hits the market or something and then it gets auctioned off and they don't have that relationship what what perception of art in the popular culture is closest to what you recognize in your reality as both an artist and a curator? Has there been a sort of popular depiction of art that gets as close to the art world as you see it? And conversely, is there like just this wild, starving artist, never happens, goofy thing that you can say is pure fantasy? There's some of all of that's happening, but yeah. I I try to stay away from when the gavel and the hit hits and the dollar signs get flashing yeah. because that's a very small section of the art world, and that's at le, art at that level is being bought and sold and traded like monetary instruments. I don't find that that interesting. Mm -hmm. I really don't, and I don't think I don't think most people do. The interesting is what the galleries are doing and the smaller nonprofit institutions. That's the crux where the art world. And art is being made. The other is just it's it's bonds, you know, monetary instruments being passed around. Yeah, yeah. And we're interested in collecting and 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 assisting and building the collection. How much has money came and made the the art into that thing where it's like? What's well, huge? Everyone, investment. you know, it's, everyone everyone knows like what this what the uh, Da Vinci. Uh, painting sold for, right. you know what I mean? But I'm not that interested in that painting. I mean, it's beautiful, whether he painted it or not. <laughs> Sal, it's know, an object, yeah. Yeah, it's Salute a... de Monde. It's just, that, but that's where the gavel fell and that's what everybody knows. Right. And now there's all this discretion like, well, it's not really, how much did he paint? I heard he did the hands, I heard he did the hair only, the studio did the rest. Well, that could be said for so many of the master paintings though. Right. So for folks who are interested and involved now, is there a prognostication that you can make about where art is going now from an artist and from, from a curatorial standpoint about the business of art and making work? Is there something that you see emerging? I know you spoke briefly about the ceiling being completely shattered now and the way being made wide for more diversity in the world. Yes. Um, I think we look at everything. I mean, our, and we appreciate everything. And mm -hmm. we're not just, 
it, not just traditional two-dimensional painting and drawing. And there's so many different tools that artists are working with today that they weren't years past. So it's the, the not the diversity of just the, the people making the art, the diversity of materiality is so expansive these days. Whether it's, you know, the new NFT situation, I don't exactly know how I feel about that, but that's an art form in itself in a certain way too. Yeah. It's bit crackers. Charlie bit my finger. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not so crazy about the early examples that I'm seeing of it yeah. that are fetching high prices. Right. But I'm sure that will calm down and hopefully the, the aesthetic qualities of that will go up too. Um, it's just interesting to be a part of something where we're, and we're, and we're adding on to it on a, on a regular basis, new works from new artists. So in our last moment, is there anything that, uh, we have a question? Oh, there's a question. Um, what's the, uh, from a curatorial point of view, what is, um, your feeling on outsider art and folk art? Uh, well, that, once again, those lines have been blurred too, though. So we have uh, strong holdings of both of those in the collection. Yeah. And um, um, we, the one thing about the collection is interesting from our curatorial point of view is our collection is not hierarchical. We'll show an Ed Richet next to a nobody. Yeah. So we remove the hierarchy, and that allows us to present work in a more even for us, even balanced, measured uh, format. Does that make it more fun? And do you think that yes, that is it makes it a lot more fun? The institution. And I'm not. Or... I'm not beholden just because it's a big name, expensive piece of art in the collection. Well, you know, they want to get some butts in the seats when you like t tour these shows that are going around. Yeah. And everyone wants to see a water lily or some field of sunflowers. Right. But is is there is there more experimentation with? that idea or do you just have to have a private collection with some bucks and be able to hang well, one thing next to One of the another? beauty of the collection is that she really allows us to uh, put the collection together in a really uh, fabulously unconventional manner. Yeah. And that's part of the, the, how it's made so do you got, fabulous. Do you guys have a bunch of Excel spreadsheets of like what was next to what at what point? We're, all, we're constantly looking at everything and putting and like we're right now heavily involved in curation for the next season, which will open uh, in December 1st. And what's that going to be like with people like we're sitting here maskless as we're, we're gonna be maskless. emerging into the roaring 20s? One of the big shows we're doing, I mean, speaking about diversity, we're doing a big show on uh, resistance and resistance coming from all facets, from... Uh, farm worker resistance to women's resistance to LGBTQ resistance to we own an incredible amount of really really fabulous Black Panther historical works from photographs and collages to writings etc. That's going to be displayed to um, uh, so and moving us all together. We just acquired a, a couple uh, really wonderful photographs of uh, uh, women's reproductive rights issues. So we're, I'm putting this all together with my co-curator uh, to make this really strong presentation. Okay. I know uh, we, we are so at time right now, oh. but I just wanted to ask you, and this was something when we first met, 
that I w was curious about, the, the Black Lives Matter sign, right? How this BLM and Black Lives Matter has become an iconic shorthand for so many things that are right now. And it's just the text on format and what you think about that as an artistic social awakening and movement and just the simplicity of this moment right now and how this ephemera could be part of that long tradition now. Well, it's amazing how those three words have resonated, just not in America, but around the world and uh, the power it exudes. It's incredible. Yeah. Power, better, it couldn't have come at a better time. Two came didn't come earlier, but we can't control all that. Yeah. So is there anything I haven't asked that the people should know about 20summers.org, about your time here, about you as an artist or a curator that we would be remiss to not learn before we unzoom you? Uh, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm happy to be here. And this is a beautiful space. The physical space is incredible. And uh, just being in it, walking around, whittling with words here. Um, it's been a great experience. And I hope that they continue it. I think they're going to. And um, I'm going to be making a donation of one of this work here to the to 20 Summers. Um, yeah, I'm very happy with this. Well, thank you for loitering with me. Oh, my pleasure. Merrily, merrily, merrily. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. I'm really grateful for you to... Um, moderate with me. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for watching and sharing and engaging with us. We'll see you at 20summers.org. You can find out more there or even make a donation to keep the program going. Yeah. Thanks for joining Operators us. Operators are standing by. All day. Yeah. <laughs>